today on Ag News Daily. Toot toot method. What you do is, is you pull up in a farmer's drive, or not driveway, but their barnyard, and you have your arm hanging out the window, Delaney, right? Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, your cap, you got your cap, absolutely no curve in the... Good afternoon and happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast. Mike is on the road today. So we're going to be joined by guest co-host Brent Carlson of the Dryline Farmer Podcast. Brent, how are you doing today? We got that Texas Tech win last night. You excited? That was completely off the hook. Um, the first was it the first twelve minutes of that game. Were there boring. were more run. Though there were more runs scored yeah. in the Texas Rangers Chicago Cub game than there were points scored in that Texas Tech Michigan game. It was so slow. I was like, okay, this is going to be a good game. We're going to have a lot of action. No. The the most action in the first half was the constant blackout of the signal. I know. Yeah, they were having some problems. It sounded like on CBS end. CBS, yeah, it was a yeah. People were all being and moaning about it on Facebook and stuff. So my signal was fine the whole time. So I don't know what they were complaining about. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was because we've got direct TV. Maybe it was a satellite mm, thing. I don't maybe. know. But uh, yeah, I didn't really. And I don't, you know, I don't remember. I think I fell asleep with about five minutes left. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I didn't make it through the whole game. But I woke up this morning to a text from my dad saying, guns up. Texas Tech is in the Elite Eight. So that's exciting. So I just, uh, on a related note, I just saw some, whatever you want to call them on Twitter, they, I don't know if they were a Texas Tech alum or not, but they were saying Texas Tech needs to abandon the Matador thing because Matadors kill bulls for sport. And his, like his handle was future Londoner. I'm like, dude, you what? need to go ahead and move there because, uh. it, which is ironic. That's the country next door to the country or not next door, but across the, the <laughs> across the river from the country that actually does that. So right. a little, a little irony in that cat's uh, hmm. whole spiel there. Interesting. So, yeah. But uh, long live the matadors nonetheless. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, we've got March Madness going on, of course. Brent, what's going on in the world of agricultural news? How soon are you guys to getting into the field? Because I know we got some big government reports today talking about planting 2019. Well, we were going to plant this morning up until about oh. 11 o'clock. And then we just, you know, put everything back in the barn because, I mean, 15, when corn is on a lower range yeah. than soybeans it kind of puts you in a bad mood but no down here you know we actually got a pretty good rain especially for us uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, we had anywhere from six tenths to two inches for which for us is you know that's a pretty good pretty good spell so mm-hmm. we're going to start we usually start planting corn about the 20th of april 25th of april and um so we're starting to uh get all our pivots serviced and um, we're killing weeds spraying weeds and uh doing all that good kind of stuff, kind of servicing tractors. And uh, so we'll be going before we know it. It's already the end of March. I so I don't, I don't know why I looked at my watch. I know it's the end of March. <laughs> yeah, April 1st is Monday, which is crazy to think. It is. And, you know, of course, a lot of – as far as that market goes, you know, I guess I always forget about the end of the month things, the end of quarter things. So um, I guess it's just a coincidence that the market report came out on the end of month, end yeah. of quarter. but. Uh, yeah, let's dive through this report really quick here. So the big shock, which ticked the corn market off today, obviously, um, was we got more expected planted acres of corn, expecting to see 92.8 million acres, which was up from the last estimate. 
expecting to see 84.6 million acres of soybeans, which is a 5% drop from last year. And then wheat acres were also forecast a little bit down at 45.8 million acres. That's a lot of acres. That's a lot it of acres. Is. But I was really concerned about Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. Mm-hmm. Maine was down a thousand acres and they completely missed Vermont, New Hampshire. They were down 2,000 and 1,000 respectively. So the market completely discounted that loss of acres in the <laughs> New England corn states. They don't and seem like all, big markets to me, Brent. Well, I mean, everybody has their own, you know, relative size in the That's corn true. market here. I mean, come on, Ohio, that's closer to the corn belt and it had zero change. And this is all courtesy of the uh, American Farm Bureau calculations, but I'm really concerned nobody's taken into account that New England corn crop. It's really a, it's really important to me because I remember going up there when I was an intern in Washington, D.C. And on another side note, to tell you how small of a world it is, you had Kerry Rinker on yesterday. Mm-hmm. We actually interned in the same office in Washington, D.C. back in 2002. What did you do in Washington, D.C.? We were both interns for Congressman Kevin Brady, huh. uh, and he's the uh, he's actually the well he was the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee mm-hmm. um, until they lost the majority. But um, he's out of College Station and Houston, part of the Houston area. And uh, we, uh, of course, Carrie was an Aggie, and um, so she got in that office. But we both interned there in his office, and so we gave tours of the Capitol building, and you know, call, talk to constituents and all that good kind of stuff. So um, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, it was. A, I noticed she was on your podcast yesterday. Yeah, that's a small world. It was a small world after all. <laughs> so yeah. But um, no, when we were up in D.C., we had, I had my pickup, and we drive around up there, and we went to – I think we went to New York. We did, I don't think we did. We went to New York City one time, and we went to Ocean City, Maryland one time, and uh, we drove driving across that area. I didn't see a field bigger than maybe two acres. Wow. And um, anyway, I talked to uh, somebody later, a few years later, that were, was from there, and they said, yeah, we had, I don't know, 200 acres and like 50 landlords. And oh. that, sound, that sounded like a nightmare. Yeah, but, that would uh, be. So maybe that is a pretty big shift in acreage then for for that area. Percentage-wise? Yeah. I mean, come on, 1,000 acres in Maine? That's probably like a 50% swing for that state. Hmm. I bet the basis kind of sucks, but, yeah. you know. Not as bad as maybe North Dakota, but yeah, as far as serious notes in the uh, state by state, North Dakota, South Dakota, they were up, let's see, nine, that can't be right. It says 900,000 and that's not right. Well, maybe it is. Anyway, so yeah, the big numbers in the Midwest were, uh, were pretty stout, at least the estimates. So yeah. yeah but I, the stout. thing that like I keep, that I keep saying is they surely can't know yet what they're going to get for acreage in, especially in Nebraska. Nebraska's a lake. I know. Yeah. Nebraska's a lake, and I'm sure probably part of Missouri has got to be a lake, oh, and yeah. maybe even Iowa. Yeah. What's it like? Where you're, now, yeah. Are you in so, that? Are you east of that? I'm east of that about two hours, but I was over there on Monday, and it's just, it's a lake. I mean, western Iowa, like central western Iowa is a lake all the way over right. into Nebraska, and then from the Nebraska border north to south, it's, like, completely wet. Even parts of Missouri, northern Missouri, are wet. South Dakota is still wet. So I feel like, I mean, obviously the markets reacted to today's reports, but how much does today's report really matter in the grand scheme of things? 
Right. You know, we talked about could it be a combination of being the end of the quarter, end of the right. month. But and I mean, it was really and I'm this is I guess it, we were closed now just a couple minutes ago. Mm-hmm. But I noticed unless it made new lows since we started talking, it was, it hit that low back in um, a few, uh, I don't know if it's two months ago or whatever. It bet down at about three eighty three eighty five ish. So I'm wondering if that was if that might be a holding point. At least I hope it is. Yeah, I hope so. I mean. I don't know. I mean, I think we're still waiting really to factor in the whole flood thing because we still don't know 100% the damage that's done. We're still seeing estimates there. Um, Mike is actually over in Western Iowa today, um, former Secretary of Iowa, Bill Northey, who's now an undersecretary, of course, at the USDA, was touring around parts of Iowa, Nebraska today, and he was going to be making some comments in regards to what rural America could expect Hopefully what they can expect as far as emergency payments go and just offering his insight into what's going on. We also saw that the USDA's FSA office state executive director for the state of Nebraska announced that folks can use CRP ground now until April 30th to use as grazing purposes since obviously there's a lot of wetland that folks can't use to turn livestock out onto. Um, they're also working to put in new disaster assistance package programs for farmers and ranchers, but we really don't have any concrete answers yet. Yeah, that that's real true. I mean, the, and the unforeseen things that are going to show up. I mean, these fields not only are they underwater when they dry out, the uh, foreign materials that are, I mean, the literal foreign bulk mm-hmm. materials that are going to floating through there, where it's driftwood. They actually have trees up there, you know. Right. Let alone the silt and the, you know, no telling what kind of fertilizers or pesticides you know, know may have leached leached away so uh, to uh, really get this stuff back into a tillable condition is i mean that's the biggest miss right. you know misnomer there is right now so yeah. that's pretty concerning i listened to a, a farmer that was interviewed on a, another podcast this week and it was interesting and you may have heard this he he said you know the main reason they flooded is because the ground was frozen where he was mm-hmm. it was like four feet was it four feet down? It was frozen. Right. So it was basically raining on a, on a uh, statewide size of parking lot. Yeah. And there was nowhere to soak it up. Yeah. So that was, that's, yeah. That's what I have been hearing as well. That's pretty interesting. We don't have that. We, we were 85 yesterday here. What? So yeah. And we I'm were supposed to Texas. Come on down. It's uh, a, <laughs> we've got, we've got some room. We've got some room here, but yeah. Um, it was 85 yesterday. And then I got a warning on my phone last night. That we're supposed to have a red flag warning today, which you know is uh, high winds and low oh. humidity. Woke up could this be morning. tornado then or what? No, it just just wind, just okay. straight line winds and um, no humidity. But we woke up this morning and it was about forty four degrees and drizzle. <laughs> so Ugh. apparently the um, I guess there was a storm system or a frontal boundary that moved in earlier than they thought. So. Um, which, I mean, the red flag warning said possible winds of 20 to 30. That's like, we could play badminton in that weather. I mean, we just <laughs> got through the windiest day I think we've had in probably, a, you know, maybe 100 years, uh, two weeks, two, three weeks ago when it blew 60 mile an hour sustained winds mm. with um, Augusta. We had a gust of 80 here right where we live. So windiest day I've ever seen in my life without, without even thinking about it. It was mm. pretty wild. And then um, last week, our... Hereford, our hometown, it had a we, – we got hell here at the house. We're about 10 miles north of Hereford, but they had ping pong 
and um, some baseball size hell there in town. So um, we talked about this on the podcast this week um, about all the sales people that showed up on the there. It's amazing the combination these guys are hell. They're hell dent removal guys, roof guys. I'm surprised they're not insurance guys, too. But um, it's so Casey Seymour and I covered all the um, corn uh, corn. I'm looking at corn acres. <laughs> Of all these sales strategies, and I asked him and interviewed him on the strategy that he might implement. Mm. And um, the one, my favorite one was the toot-toot method. Yeah, that's that, nice. That, that wasn't me. That was the phone. <laughs> but, um, so if, if, you, if you're interested in the toot-toot method, what you do is, is you pull up in a farmer's drive, or not driveway, but their barnyard, and you have your arm hanging out the window, Delaney, right? Uh-huh. And, okay. And uh, your cap, you got your cap, absolutely no curve in the bill. Like it's almost pitched up, and you give your customer two honks, and that's supposed to um, call him to your van so you can sell him something. Oh, so he has and to come to you. you. The customer has to come to you. And hmm. Casey, he never used that strategy before. I couldn't believe it. And unfortunately for this salesman, it didn't work for him either. So um, I kind of had to poo-poo the toot-toot, as it were. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> seem like a good method. No, but really. uh, that was, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad, Delaney. I, I believe it. I'm looking forward yeah. to listening to that this afternoon. It, yeah, it's a, it, it's a barn burner to say the least. All know. right. Co-host Landon, with, he had to go play softball oh. on Wednesday. And so uh, and we had a meeting Tuesday, which was more important than his stupid softball game. <laughs> so um, he just said, well, I'll just take the week off. So I had to dock his pay. Like, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, nice. But, uh, yeah, so we had a, we had a pretty wild week here. But, That's uh, awesome. Yeah, a podcast. Yeah, this podcast is, uh, it's coming around. It's coming around. Yeah. It's fun. That's for sure. Right. I love it. I love it. Let's see. Well, Brent, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this because I know you're an opinionated guy, which is great. I love it. Um, so we know FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb is leaving the FDA, but he said in, a statement this week that the agency is going to continue to have public hearings and is going to figure out the final decision in labeling milk or milk products like almond milk or soy milk. They said that this is a very high priority for the overall nutrition program because they don't want people to get confused on the nutritional value of things like almond milk versus whole milk or skim milk. What's your thought on this, Brent? How Delaney, how stupid do you think that, <laughs> do you think that they think we are? <laughs> I mean, they have got to think the American public is the dumbest amount of people in the world because can't you just put don't they have the nutrition facts on the side of the almond milk carton? I don't know. Or, I think that but but the the question is should you be able to allow, be allowed to label it as milk if it's not coming from a milk producing animal? I mean, why not? I mean, if the if somebody's in the market for almond milk, you could call it almond orange juice for all you know. For all I care, I mean, <laughs> you know what's what's the harm in calling it milk? I guess if you're a dairy guy, I mean, yeah, that's I guess that's the people that may have a qualm with it. But that's the word of the day, by the way. I like it. But, that's good. Uh huh. I've been dying to get that into a conversation <laughs> for like three and a half months. I saw it on Jeopardy once, which I record, by the way. I don't want to hear anything about it. But uh, anyway, yeah, you know, I mean, if I'm not a dairy farmer, I guess it really doesn't affect me. I can see how the dairy industry might have problems with somebody calling a product milk that is coming from 
a nut. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the issue here. I mean, I guess I guess my side is is you kind of got the libertarian versus right you know, government intervention thing. Do you just leave it alone? You know, um, that's you know my kind of take on it. It's what's the big? If you're not a dairy guy, I guess it's not a big deal. At least to me. If I'm a dairy guy and I see somebody calling it milk, I still don't know if it matters or not. I mean, most do 98% of the country know what milk really is? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, you hear the story about, oh, some people think that chocolate milk comes from a brown cow. <laughs> if they're thinking that, then they're definitely not going to know the difference between almond milk and regular milk. I don't think. That's, that's true. That's true. Unless like some undercover, they have some undercover operation where they're harming almonds when they milk them. I don't know. <laughs> something, something stupid like that. I guess that is true, Delaney. What ninety eight percent of the country doesn't even think that we landed on the moon. So you know. Oh my gosh! I don't even. You know, I don't. We don't even have time for that today. We just can't. There's what five percent or something, maybe ten percent of people don't even believe it that we landed on the moon, even I though can't. you can you know see stuff with I a telescope. Even. I can't even. Yeah, start up the yeah the dark helicopters and the tinfoil hats. Yeah, Brent, please tell me that you have some some good news, or maybe you have some fun news to share for today. Because the commodity have, markets are definitely not fun, but we have to talk about those. Well, okay, so commodity market. I looked this up, and I was gonna see when Children of the Corn came out, <laughs> and if that had a negative impact on the market that year. So I did a little research, Delaney. Children of the Corn. Have you seen it? Yes. 1984. I was three years old, so I didn't see it. That was the start of the corn market break. Corn, the corn market broke and it bottomed out, and I believe it was maybe 1986 and like a dollar, sub two dollar corn. And I put it all on children of corn. It's hmm. just like Oprah in that. What was it? it? Wasn't Mad Cow at that point? It was uh, E. Coli. Oh. And how she broke the market. So you got Oprah in the cattle market that I'm not calling her a cow. <laughs> and Children of the Corn in 1984 started the corn break. Don't you, uh, what, What's your thoughts, Delaney? I got to hear it. That sounds like a conspiracy theory, Brent. Well, uh, the, did the market not go down? It probably did, but there are probably other factors to it. Well, yeah. I mean, Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont probably they probably gained a whole lot of acres that year too. <laughs> <laughs> I oh mean, my come gosh. On. Yeah, for real. Okay. No, not for real. I don't want to sound that crazy. But yeah, <laughs> Children of the Corn definitely should be in the supply-demand reports. Any <laughs> any anti-farm movies, um, it, it, it's always concerning to me. So yeah, Children of the Corn, that's something you got to look at. Um, if we want to shift a little away from agriculture just for a second. Okay. We're talking earlier about um, what kind of stories could we bring in because it's fry yay. I've mm-hmm. never said that, but you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's a thing now and I love it. So I got on the Odd News, Fox News, Odd News channel, stolen hot air balloon. What do you think the uh, chase vehicle would be for a hot air balloon? Would it be like, I mean, you could chase one in like a cop, like a bicycle cop could chase a stolen hot air balloon. I mean, how do you get away with it, first of all? I mean. With a hot air balloon and a bicycle? If you're chasing a hot air balloon with a bicycle, I think you probably need to be on like an airplane or something else. Now, how, how fast do hot air balloons float? Like, I don't know, but they're up in the air and a bicycle's on the ground. Yeah, I know, but I mean, it's not like they're going to get out of your sight anytime soon, are <laughs> oh, they? True. I mean, a hot air balloon. Do I need to Google it? I'll Google it. <laughs> hot air balloon speed. I mean, I guarantee you it's not more than 10 miles an hour. I'm typing and I'm going to look it up. 
This is the Ag News Daily Podcast. We are in service right now and looking up stuff. <laughs> Mike and I do this all the time. That is awesome. Okay, hot air balloon. You can get a hot air balloon from $144, no fees, in a uh, Phoenix. So the average – oh, damn. I guess I'm wrong. The average fastest recorded ground speed for a manned air balloon, 245 miles an hour. Oh, Boy, my research just went all to hell. Okay. <laughs> See, I was thinking like, um, you know, because the Wizard of Oz, he didn't make a very fast getaway. Right. I mean, that was pretty slow. So I, I don't know. I guess I'm completely off the your off reservation cracked. on this one. But so, okay, I guess it. a cop car. I guess a cop, a cop car. car. Like Dukes of Hazard style. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got Bo and Luke up there trying to climb on that uh, wicker <laughs> basket they've got there. So, yeah, but no, so this, yeah, somebody stole a hot air balloon and this is in the Northeast somewhere. And I mean, obviously it got found. I mean, it's a hot air balloon. How are you going to hide a hot air balloon? So it probably landed in some, you know, New Hampshire cornfield and they tried to stow it away in some silo, you know, where they hold 50 to a hundred bushels. So, um, that's another, you know, corn related story that I like to get across here. All right. I like Uh, it because it landed in, or they found it in a cornfield. They did. And, um, you know, I don't know if it was a Grand Theft Auto or, you know, really what it was. But uh, nonetheless, to say the dude dude got some time. But um, if we're talking more, uh, I'm getting into haunted farms now. Hmm. And, of course, the Children of the Corn deal, that was obviously a fictional deal. But uh, if if we go to the old Arnold estate, and there are always estates that get haunted. And this is in Harrisville, Rhode Island. The advice from the people that live there, leave the lights on at night. And do I need to cite this, uh, Delaney? This is modernfarmer.com. Is and, that like uh, a Wikipedia type of, of No, site? no. It's an okay. website. All right. All right. com, world's haunted farms. Um, the quote is, leave the lights on at night, was the advice from the Perone family. Uh, that's the advice that the Perone family got when they moved into an old farmhouse in the winter of 1970. So this is before Children of the Corn. Anyway, this story is what The Conjuring, the movie, was based mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Eight generations of families had lived and died in the house, and few seemed to have moved on, leaving the place packed with spirits. So, I mean, who, who's – you know, I want to meet the realtor of this place. And is it the same realtor that's selling it to each of the families that live and die there? I mean, okay. he's not selling it to the family that died there. He already sold it to them. The people – that bought it from the people that died. Like after like that's kinda like the guy that gets married seven times. I mean, who <laughs> this guy's gotta have a Facebook page packed with exes and you know any any lady that's gonna get married to a guy that's been married seven times is gonna check his Facebook page. So I don't know. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with one or the other, but uh, according to town records, three people committed suicide at the house, two hung themselves and one chose poison. There were also two people drowned and four frozen to death. And to round out the horror, this is terrible. An 11-year-old girl was assaulted and murdered by a farmhand. Um, and this is all written about in an account called House of Darkness, House of Light. Have you ever wanted to, Delaney, or ever looking forward to maybe staying a night in a haunted house somewhere? Yes. So there's a house in southwest Iowa called the Axe Murder House in Villisca. I totally would like stay a there. B and B or what? No, but you can like rent the house to stay there for a night, and supposedly nice. it's haunted and all that stuff. 
So the is it like Dwight Schrute Beet Farms bed and no. breakfast? That would be awesome. They have an <laughs> no. irrigation room. Yeah. That was so awesome. So it's a pretty popular site then. I I mean, there's like a documentary on it and everything. I'm gonna have to check that out. Mm-hmm. We don't have now my parents' house, and I didn't know this till I was, and I never saw anything. But um, apparently, a guy died of a heart attack. I don't know, back in the fifties, in our at our kitchen table. Uh-huh. But um, you know, we hadn't had any steak knives or anything move without you know somebody else. Mm-hmm. But um, but to go on about this farm, the most dreadful ghost is Bathsheba Sherman. You know, I thought she was back in like biblical times, but nonetheless, this is I guess there's two Bathshebas. Uh, a rumored Satanist who hung herself from a tree behind the barn in the early 19th century. Her mother told a reporter from the Providence Journal in 77 that she woke up to find the head of an old woman shouting, get out, get out. I'll drive you out with death and gloom. I mean, at least she rhymes. I mean, that's pretty That's pretty good right? just on its own merit. But attacks from Bathsheba got more intense. One of the Perone girls once found her leg bleeding from a large puncture and was allegedly possessed by the spirit. They got a, fam- a priest to perform an exorcism more than once. It helped, but only for a short while. So maybe it was like a guy that doesn't take all his antibiotics. He only quits when he's <laughs> like when he starts feeling good. So he gets like – is he like um, exorcism uh, resistant? He's hmm. exorcism resistant, Delaney. So, <laughs> like uh, antibiotic resistant. That's nice. That's right. Yeah. I mean, if you're Roundup resistant, dicamba resistant, exorcism resistant is always something you got to watch out for in these things. Brent, I think, like- this, I think this is the first time we've ever had a haunted farm related news. Well, yeah, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> I mean, if Mike's away, I mean, come on now. It's, uh, but yeah, so. Always take all of your antibiotics until it's expired, or not till it's expired, till the bottle's empty, and always let your priest finish the exorcism. <laughs> oh, that's great! Thank you for that. I hope people enjoy that part of today's news. We need we need the uh, the more you know jingle from NBC. Oh, there that you would, go. That would be Perfect. great. It's lovely. Well, Brent, I think we're going to skip an an interview for today. We've got a lot of content that we've covered during today's podcast. I just had a couple other quick pieces of news. Um, the first is we've seen some good signs in the wheat markets. We saw Egypt and Iraq buy wheat for Thursday. They each announced some flash sales there of over a hundred thousand metric tons. Usually they get rice from, or they get wheat from Russia because of, obviously geographic location, but now we're looking like we're going to eat up some of that lion's share this year. So I think that's good news for wheat producers. You know, anything and everything to get uh, the wheat out of here, because I think wheat basis down in our area is yeah. about 45 under, and that's putting, I didn't see how wheat closed today, but it's um, pretty dreary. Uh, Look out. Yeah, wheat hasn't had really great closes lately. Not a great close again today. Yeah, four four point four million bushels of soft red mm-hmm. winter for delivery to Egypt. That's a that's a pretty good little little bite off there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Brent. Before I do the commodity markets for today, tell us a little bit about your podcast, the Dryline Farmer Podcast, and how folks can listen to it. Dryline Farmer Podcast is kind of what you're hearing right now. It's just a whole bunch of nonsense <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. That's what nonsense is. But um, yeah, we. Uh, we were on a regular schedule of dropping on Wednesdays until our co-host had softball, and <laughs> um, we have to push it a little bit around. So our podcast drops during the week <laughs> is what it does. 
and um, so whenever we can get to it. But uh, we we're, we're, uh, started off talking farm, but now we're kind of all over the place. And we just like to, I mean, you know, farmers talk farm all the time. And, uh, you know, we try to fit a farm story in there if we find something that we can talk about. But uh, we're kind of all over the place. And, of course, we're on the Global Ag Network, and we're really excited to be a part of that. And, um, like I said, it's myself, and Landon Nolan is a uh, my co-host with me. And we just talk about or ridicule events of the day. We talked about March Madness last week. We're talking uh, – I actually had Casey Seymour on this week, and we talked sales strategies. And it's not like a seminar sales strategy thing. This is completely ridiculous stuff. We talk, we talk everything from sales strategies. I believe we talked some religion. Hmm. It was, um, yeah, uh, different denominations of Christians, and uh, so it was. Uh, <laughs> we go off the rails. But uh, if you want something different, if you want something that you don't expect to hear, you know, you wouldn't think anybody would say it. That's what you want to listen to, and that's what that's what we're all about. So yeah, awesome. we're excited. To, we're we're having a good time doing it. Awesome. Well, it's definitely not for people that are faint of heart, and if you're offended easily about politically incorrect <laughs> things, probably don't listen to the Dryline Farmer podcast. But that's just my. Oh, two we're cents. an equal opportunity. Deal. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, Brent. Let's look at the commodity market closes. Unfortunately, for today, before we wrap this thing up. Saving the worst news for last. So, folks, if you want to turn it off because you've already seen the markets today, this would be your time. Of course, our commodity markets are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group. Today is one of those days where you wish you probably had a marketing strategy in place. If you don't already, give them a call today at 312-277-0050. Okay, ripping the Band-Aid off first here with the corn market. May the... The May corn contract dropped 17 and a half cents today at 356 and three quarters. The December closing 13 and a half cents lower, hitting that low or actually below that low of 384 and three quarters. Soybean pits not spared on today either. The May contract down five and a quarter cents at 884 and a quarter. The November losing four and three quarters cents at 919 even. The Egyptian and Iraqi wheat purchases was not enough to spark excitement in the wheat markets for today as the May contract dropped six and three quarters cents at four fifty seven and three quarters. The December down eight and a half at four eighty four and three quarters. In the livestock pits, the April live cattle contract down eighty two and a half cents at one twenty five seventy. The June down sixty two and a half cents to close at one nineteen even. In the feeder cattle pits, the redness continues in the April contract, losing 70 cents on the day at 145.25. The May down 90 at 148.77 and a half. And finally, in the lean hog pits, $1.50 down in the April contract to close at 77.37. The May cut $2.35 to end at 81.32 and a half. Brent, those were not pretty commodity markets. Do you have anything that you can share with our listeners before we let them go to leave this Friday episode on a little more upbeat news? Well, I was going to try to um, tell you that orange juice was up today, but it was not. <laughs> it, it was down $3.90. Is that a frozen metric ton? I can't remember. But um, hopefully the best piece of optimism I can get is I know that the uh, flooded areas will drain yes. and they will dry up. And we're all are in our prayers that way, and we just hope everybody up there can um, get out from underwater and uh, and start farming again. But um, we're all we're all real fortunate down here that we're uh, we've always we've had droughts year in and year out, but I've always seen that a flood is always worse than a drought. So um, 
we uh, once again we just think about those folks up there and hope they uh, hope they can really uh, get through this and uh, start a new uh, planning season. Absolutely, absolutely, Brent. One more time before I let you go, how can folks interact with you on Twitter? That's at Trader Brent. That's where you're going to find me and the Dryline Farmer podcast. And uh, don't forget uh, Landon Nolan. That's no twit Landon 44. He'll uh, retweet that podcast link. And uh, we're also on Facebook. And uh, the uh, podcast is uh, disseminated out through the Global Ag Network, and they send it through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anything and everything that's got a .com attached to it. Awesome. Same goes for the Ag News Daily podcast, folks. You can hit us up also on Facebook and on Twitter at Ag News Daily. Brent, thanks so much for co-hosting with me today. Should we let the people go? I guess so. Let's let them go. <laughs> <laughs>